All right. Raise your hand if you love a good spy movie. Anyone? Yeah. There are very few genres that Hollywood loves more than spy thrillers. And we as consumers absolutely go crazy for over-the-top stories about espionage and secret government missions and larger-than-life secret agents who make the skills of an average man look like a pansy, right? Consider one of the most popular characters in literary modern history, uh, James Bond. His character was first written in 1953, and the adaptations of James Bond through various media haven't stopped since. In fact, James Bond uh, and the Bond series is the longest continually running film series of all time, with nearly 30 feature films to date. And that is not counting books, TV shows, radio programs, comics, and on and on and on. Bond is a genre all to himself, and we're fascinated by it. Uh, His character is one of the main inspirations behind many, if not most, of the spy stories of the last 70 years. Um, Lydia, would you mind just turning Channel 3 down uh, a little bit there? Thank you. Um, In the same vein, many others have followed. Think about Tom Clancy uh, and the over 100 million novels that he sold in his lifetime, all of which centered around military espionage. Or take Tom Cruise, who, although he's played in many different types of movies, is probably best known for the Mission Impossible franchise, which the most impossible thing about it is that it's still going. And he's still the star. Um, It's been going since 1996. Uh, Then you have a series which has always been one of my personal favorites, and that's the Bourne series featuring Jason Bourne. Uh, Jason Bourne is this CIA assassin who is suffering from amnesia, and he's trying to find out who he is and how he became the preeminent black ops agent in the entire world. And so the series follows him as he outwits multiple governments of multiple nations, sometimes simultaneously, and of course kills a lot of bad guys. Um, According to one website, 37 bad guys to be exact uh, throughout the four films that he's in. Then you throw in series like the Triple X series with Vin Diesel, the Jack Ryan franchise, Pink Panther, Austin Powers... And for the little guys, Spy Kids. Moral of the story is, we absolutely love spy movies. We love them. Thus, it should come as no surprise that in 2015, one of the most popular movies of the entire year was a movie titled simply, Spy. Uh, The movie begins with some James Bond-esque heroes, played by Jude Law and Jason Statham. Um, But the star of this movie is a much different kind of CIA agent, played by none other than Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy starts out the film in the command center at the CIA, and she is known as Support. Her job is to be support for the spies out in the field, or specifically one spy in particular, whose name is Bradley Fine. What a great name, Bradley Fine. Uh, 
while Fine is out on missions, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character, Susan, is in the command center. And she is his support. So she sits at a desk in front of a computer and she guides him through his earpiece. And she tells him what he needs to do. She has tools at her disposal like satellite surveillance that can zoom in uh, to a dime. She has thermal imaging, building schematics. She has maps, etc., etc. She's got all these different tools. So she's the eye in the sky, as it were. For Bradley Fine. She'll warn him when there are incoming bogeys. That, of course, is the spy word for bad guys. Uh, for incoming bogeys at various entry points. She will give him directions to help him outwit these guys trying to find him. She'll give him security codes to get into secret places. She'll give him answers to questions that are being asked of him in very tense situations. Anything else that he might need in order to be successful. But then, spoiler alert, he's killed. And through some various uh, situations, she then has to become a spy herself. So she kind of fumbles hilariously through becoming a spy, and her friend Nancy, who sits next to her in support, becomes her support as she goes about her missions. And so what we learn in this movie is that it's not so much the skills of the spy that make him or her successful, it is the voice in the earpiece guiding their every move. Without that earpiece, the skill of the spy can only take them so far. They need an ever-present voice telling them step by step what to do and where to go and how to do it. Only then will the spy be able to take out the assassins that are coming after them. I would submit to you that the same is true in our spiritual lives. That the only way for us to live according to the Bible, the only way for us to defeat the enemies that are coming up against us, the only way to navigate the minefield of life, is the guiding voice in the earpiece. None other than the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're working our way through this series called The Opposite of Epic. We're talking about how our spiritual habits, our spiritual disciplines form us and shape us and, and, and create who we are as people. Without these habits, we'll just kind of float through life without any type of direction. We will go wherever the wind and the waves take us. We talked about how our typical way of thinking, our typical goal in life is always to find the most epic stuff. We want the most epic church, the most epic entertainment, the most epic job, lifestyle, marriage, etc. And so when we get bored, we start looking elsewhere for the next epic thing. We're always looking for the magic secret the life hack, the hidden knowledge that will unlock our potential. So we will fad diet, we will self-help, we will rub our bellies while patting our heads at the same time, all to get whatever special sauce will help us be what we think we should be. But the truth is, we only become the best version of ourselves through consistent Steady, disciplined lives of healthy habit. And that is the opposite 
of Epic. It's a grind. Um, I was struck earlier this week uh, by the words of one of the Notre Dame football players in this week's Bible study. He said, we work for months and months to get the most out of a few plays. And we love those plays, but we don't, love, we don't love the grind it took to get there. We have to start loving the grind. The grind is an epic, but the grind is what makes the epic possible. So, the purpose of this series is to get us in the habit of the daily grind. And to come to love that grind. Coming to a place where we love the process, not just the results. So last week we talked about the first spiritual discipline, which is daily study and meditation in God's Word. We talked about the importance of engaging the head as well as the heart, and why both of those are necessary. And in that message, I challenged you to find a battle buddy, and together to start pursuing the habit of deep time in the Bible every day. One of the specific challenges that I threw out there last week that I'll remind you of again is scripture before phone. Letting the Bible be the first thing that you read in the morning. Not the news, not social media or email or text messages. Whatever time you get up, start the day with the Bible. Even if it's just one verse or or one chapter or one psalm, whatever it might be. Scripture before phone. Um, Later on this week, I'm going to put up a graphic on our uh, Facebook page that kind of lays out these spiritual disciplines as a reminder. But hopefully some of you have begun to start uh, putting that into practice. So today we're going to look at the second discipline in our series, and that is consistent prayer. And here's the big idea I want you to walk away with if you're taking notes. An ongoing Heart-to-heart connection with God in prayer is like staying connected to a power source. An ongoing heart-to-heart connection with God in prayer is like staying connected to a power source. It's almost like having a voice in your earpiece, guiding your every move, keeping you one step ahead of the enemy. There's a term that is sometimes used in Christian circles that, to be honest, feels sort of foreign to most of us. Um, Perhaps in in the context of an accountability relationship, a question that might be asked of you is, how's your prayer life? Perhaps some of you have heard that question before, how's your your prayer life? And, And that term, prayer life, if we're being honest, kind of hits us weird. Because for most of us, having a prayer life is a foreign concept. For most of us, prayer is something that we do before meals or before we take a road trip to ask God for traveling mercies. Um, It's something that we kind of throw in here or there. But would we be able to describe it as a prayer life? My hope is that we will begin to get Uh, that far. So, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Paul is speaking, writing to the church in Ephesus, and talking about spiritual warfare. This is a passage that most of us have probably heard describing the armor of God. 
beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, let's uh, jump right in. Point number one. We are in a spiritual war, and the key to victory is prayer. We're in a spiritual war, and prayer is the key to victory. Again, I'm sure that this is probably not the first time that most of us have read this passage. I'm sure most of us have probably studied it before in one way or another. And so we're sort of familiar with this idea that we have to put on the armor of God. But we have to ask the question, practically speaking, what does that actually look like on a day-to-day basis? How is it that we get up in the morning and put on the full armor of God? The first part is simply awareness, cognizance, mindfulness of the fact that we are in the middle of a spiritual war. Most of the time, we are so focused on whatever it is that we're doing that day, on the tasks at hand, on the to-do list, on the habits that we have in our lives, whether we realize them or not, that we're not even cognizant of the fact that we are in a spiritual war. We get so wrapped up in what is in front of our eyes that we miss what is truly going on. Uh, There was one time uh, several years ago, this is quite a long time ago, but uh, I'll never forget this moment. There was one time that I was sitting at my computer and I was writing. Uh, I was working on a writing project and I was getting really deep into it. And so sometimes when I get really focused on something, I can block out successfully everything around me. Um, Earlier in my life, that was a habit that annoyed people a lot. Um, especially my family, because if I was zoned in, they could be talking to me right here and I wouldn't even hear them. I'm I'm zoned in. My roommates in college felt the same way. They would shake me and be like, are you even paying attention? And I'm like, sorry, I'm in the zone, right? So this one time I'm sitting at my desk and I'm just really into this writing project. Well, on the very other side of the wall, my dad and my brothers were watching a movie. Specifically, they were watching Saving Private Ryan. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, but it's, it's a typical military movie. There's a lot of explosions and a lot of gunfire. Also, I don't know if you watch TV like my family does, but we usually watch it way louder than any person ever needs to, especially if we're watching a movie. The, 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 the way that my dad would watch a movie is he had surround sound speakers that he was very proud of, He'd lower down the lights, and he would make it so loud that it was as if you were in whatever scene you were watching. And again, they were watching Saving Private Ryan. So, the living room sounded like a live look at a war zone. Okay, The explosions were almost at the same decibel level as actual explosions. The gunfire, same thing. We lived on several acres by ourselves, which is a good thing because if we had neighbors near us, they probably would have called the cops. There's a lot of gunshots. We don't know what's going on. That's how loud they were watching this movie. But I was so focused on what I was writing, I didn't even hear it. I was completely unaware of what was going on on just the other side of the wall. Even though it was a war zone, just feet away from me, All I was thinking about was what was right in front of me. That is how we often are in terms of the spiritual war that is going on. This passage tells us that we are in a war against spiritual forces. And one of the greatest tools that the enemy has at his disposal is to get us to be oblivious of the war that we're in. To get us to a point where we're so oblivious to what's actually happening. We're blind to the forces that we're up against. And in a war where you don't even know that the war is happening, you lose. Furthermore, we get so focused on flesh and blood, right? We often vilify people so much. We say things like, you know, life would be so easy if it wasn't for all the people. But this passage reminds us that our war, our battle, is not against flesh and blood. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every single day, we are in a war against spiritual forces. There is an enemy army of assassins and every moment of every day they're waging war against us with weapons like temptation and discouragement and doubt, fear and anger and pride and so many other things. And the easiest way for them to win is to have us fighting against the wrong enemy, flesh and blood, to try to make this battle a physical battle when we ought to be fighting it spiritually. So we have to be aware of what we're up against. So once we have that awareness, that we're in a spiritual war, and that it's not against flesh and blood, this passage tells us that there are tools for warfare that we're given. It tells us that in order to win the war, we have to put on the full armor and stand against the schemes of the devil. But here's what I want you to consider. Prayer is connected to every one of the elements of the armor. Prayer is how we put it on. 
Because it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to use these spiritual tools. And prayer is how we engage the Holy Spirit. So, the first tool that's in this passage, it says, the belt of truth. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So, each one of these different elements of the armor has a function. It has a purpose. And the purpose of a belt is to hold everything together. Back in those days, they would wear cloaks. They didn't have pants and t-shirts like we have now. It was robes. And so the robe that they were wearing and anything on top of it was all held together with a belt. If they would have to run somewhere, they'd pick up the bottom of their cloak and they'd tuck it into their belt so that they could move quickly. The belt was what held them all together. And so in this passage, it tells us that truth is that belt that holds all things together. So how is it that we can access the belt of truth? How is it that we can wrap everything together and hold everything together with truth? Through the Holy Spirit. Because we learn in Scripture that it is the Holy Spirit that reminds us of the truth of God's Word. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking. In verse 26, He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then again in chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus speaking again says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Uh, This is the wrong verse. (laughs) Why do I have the wrong verse in my notes? Oh, that is embarrassing. (laughs) That's what happens sometimes, huh? Uh, There is a correct verse that's somewhere in this chapter, perhaps you can find it, that speaking about the Holy Spirit, he says, He will remind you of all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And so, if we're going to be held together by the belt of truth, If all things will be wrapped together with that, we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of the things that Jesus said. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us of what the truth of God's Word actually is. To call those things to mind. To bring them to the forefront in our moment of need. The Holy Spirit does that. Second, in our passage, after the belt of truth, it says, "...having put on the breastplate of righteousness." What is the function of a breastplate? To protect the vital organs. Specifically, to protect the heart. And the Holy Spirit, the Word tells us, is what protects our heart with the seal of salvation. Just one page earlier here in Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, "...in Him we've obtained an inheritance." Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So it is the truth of the gospel that brings us salvation and the seal of that salvation in our hearts is the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantor. He is the deposit. He is what God has placed on our hearts until we are glorified in heaven. So when we're here in the middle of the battle and we need the gospel, what is the seal of the gospel on our hearts? The Holy Spirit is. Next, after the breastplate of righteousness, it says in verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The shoes, the gospel shoes that were given. One of the the best things about my job is that I am often given shoes and other clothes, but I got a lot of Under Armour stuff for free, and I'm wearing some of it right now. Shoes. This tells us that there are gospel shoes. Well, what is the meaning of having gospel shoes? It means that we are bringing something to the people. We are message bearers. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. It means that we are sent out with the message of the gospel. Not just that we're sealed with the gospel, but we're also sent with the gospel. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be gospel messengers. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us this. Jesus, speaking to his disciples just before the ascension, is promising them that they will not be alone. And so he says to them in Acts 1, 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, I have a mission for all of you that you're going to be my messengers. You're going to be the ones that bear the gospel. You're going to bring it to the people. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And through that power, you become messengers. Next, he talks about the shield of faith. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So not only are we wearing armor, we're also carrying a shield. That shield has the purpose of blocking flaming arrows. If you've ever watched any movies uh, that are set in like the Middle Ages and there's war scenes, sometimes you'll see guys who are archers light up uh, an arrow before shooting it at a target. The purpose is to set it on fire. It's not just a wound, it is a wound that burns. And we learn that the enemy is shooting those types of burning arrows at our hearts, at our minds. And we've been given a shield. That shield is faith. Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us that faith. Through connecting our hearts with God. Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. In our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us a shield by connecting my heart to God's. 
Next, in a similar way, he talks about the helmet of salvation. Uh, After the shield of faith, it says in verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation. What is the purpose of a helmet? To protect your head. In a spiritual sense, what does that mean? It means to protect the mind. And Scripture tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that guides our thoughts and helps us to understand the mind of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 12, Paul writing to the church in Corinth says this, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things and is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the mind of Christ. Next we have the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now you've probably noticed before in studying this passage that out of all the elements given, there is only one offensive weapon. And that's the sword. Everything everything mentioned prior to this is defensive. We have a helmet to protect our minds. We have a shield to block out arrows. We have a breastplate to protect our uh, chest. We're, We're only given one weapon. That one weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And how do we wield that sword? How do we use that weapon, which is the Bible? As I'm sure you've already guessed, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who calls it to mind for us. Remember again John 14, 26 that we looked at, where Jesus said, When I send the Helper... He will call to mind the things that I have said. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring Scripture to our memory. He's the one that will put it in the forefront of our mind. As we study, like we talked about last week, uh, remember one of the things that we talked about last week was studying and meditating, and it's like building a log pile for the winter. Every single day we're, we're putting more logs on the pile so that when the cold comes, we can grab a log and put it in the flame and keep us warm. As we study the Word and as we pile that up in our hearts, it is the Holy Spirit that allows us to grab a log and put it in the fire in our time of need. Scripture is brought to mind by the Spirit. Furthermore, the Bible itself is the result of the working of the Holy Spirit because He guided its writing in the first place. 
We learn this in First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one, where it says, "Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So not only does the Holy Spirit bring the word to mind, the Holy Spirit is the one who guided its writing in the first place. So in every step of this, it is the Holy Spirit that does everything on our behalf, that enables us to access these things. And how do we access the Holy Spirit? Prayer. Prayer is accessing these things. Without prayer we leave all of these benefits unused. So, in every sense of the spiritual battle, the Holy Spirit enables us to do all things. In every sense, He is the earpiece. Uh, I'm sorry, the voice in the earpiece of the soul. So when we think about prayer, we need to understand that prayer is not just spouting off a list of requests. Lord, these are the things that I need. Oh, by the way, thank you for those other things. Those are part of it. Absolutely. Those are a part of prayer. You may have heard um, the, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And, and that's a form of prayer where we're going through these various steps. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. These are forms of prayer. And that's important. But we also need to understand that That prayer is not just following these categories. Prayer means that we go to the Holy Spirit for access to these spiritual benefits. These are all essential pieces of prayer that give us victory in the war. Point number two. Communication must never be finished. Communication must never be finished. Look at uh, verse 18 in this passage. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. What does that mean to pray at all times? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul puts it this way, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. What does that even look like? It it, it might conjure up an image in your mind where you are on your knees with your hands folded and your eyes closed 24 hours a day. That is impossible. To have a life like that, you might as well be a monk and then it would leave out many of the other things were commanded in Scripture as well. So it cannot mean that you are on your knees with your eyes closed and your hands folded speaking words of prayer all day long. What does it actually look like? Well, here's an example. Uh, My wife and I are obsessed with each other, basically. And we have what is an ongoing conversation throughout every single day. Uh, While I'm at home, of course, that conversation is person-to-person, face-to-face. But then I leave and I go to work. And... As I'm at work, I have my phone on me, and she and I are texting back and forth throughout the day, the entire day. 
It's a conversation that never stops. Sometimes it's a serious thing that we're talking about. Other times we're just sending each other funny gifts uh, or funny bitmojis. You know, and, and throughout the day, anytime I have a thought that I need to share, I text her. Anytime she has a thought she wants to share, she texts me. Or perhaps you've been in a situation where you're dating and you're obsessed with this other person and you're in the middle of doing something but you don't want to hang up the phone, right? So there's not much conversation going on. You're in the middle of doing something and they're in the middle of doing something but you have the phone and the call is active and every few minutes you'll throw out a word or a phrase here or there but you just don't want to hang up because you love each other so much, right? That is the image that we get here that tells us to pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. It means that throughout our day, we have the earpiece in. Throughout our day, we have a heart that is tuned toward hearing that guiding voice. Throughout the day, we're communicating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the conversation doesn't stop with amen. There's never a break in the conversation. It is all day. Or think of it like this. Um, Does anyone ever talk to themselves? Don't lie, you liars. Okay, you talk to yourself out loud, right? You know you do it. I do it too. If I'm by myself at home, especially if my family has been gone for a while, (laughs) that's when I start getting weird and crazy. And I'll start talking to myself way more or having full conversations with a dog who can't understand me, right? Instead of talking to yourself, let those be occasions where you are talking to God. Instead of just speaking something out loud, speak it to Him as a part of the ongoing conversation. Tim Keller says it like this, What is prayer, then, in the fullest sense? Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through His Word and His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. A continuing conversation starting with His Word. And that conversation must never end. Point number three. Prayer is what fills our hearts with the presence of God. At the beginning of our passage, in verse 10, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In the original Greek, the word for strong is the word dunamis, and it's where we get the word dynamite. It is an explosive, powerful force. But the way that it's written in this passage is in the passive sense. In other words, it's not an active word, which is something that you do. It's a passive word where it is something that is done to you. So where he tells us to be strong in the Lord, what he's really saying is allow the Lord to make you strong. Allow the Lord to fill you with His strength. Allow the Lord to fill you with His power. Written in the passive sense, it would read, Finally, let the Lord strengthen you. 
Sort of like filling up your car with gas. Let your car be filled with gasoline so that it has the power to do what it needs to do. And it is in prayer that we get that strength. It is in the presence of God that he strengthens us, that he fills us with that dynamite power to do what he has called us to do. Have you ever found it interesting that Jesus prayed so much? Jesus prayed all the time, fervently. He he would go off by himself every single day and pray. Every miracle that he did began with prayer. Everything was fueled by prayer. And, And so I don't know about you, but I have often asked myself, why did Jesus have to pray? Jesus was God. Yes, but Jesus was also fully human. He was in the midst of the spiritual war. And in order to win that spiritual war, he needed strength. And the way that he got that strength was through prayer. Exactly as it is written here. To be strong in the Lord is to allow the Lord to fill you with the strength that you need. He prayed also because of the love that he shared with the Father. In the Trinity, what we have is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all existing in perfect relationship. The Godhead in itself is love. Love is not something that God does as much as love is something that He is. Within Himself is perfect love, perfect community, perfect friendship, all shared within itself. And so in prayer, Jesus is experiencing the love of the Father. He is praying in connection with that love. And isn't it true that we want to stay connected in communication with the people that we love most? I do. I just told you about how my wife and I obsessively text each other all day long. Jesus prayed all the time in every occasion of life. So ask yourself this question. If Jesus, who was God, needed to be in constant prayer, and again, he was God in the flesh, how much more do you think we need to be in constant prayer? How much more do I need that? But Scripture tells us very clearly that the same Spirit who raised Christ is now in me. Jesus told His disciples, You will do even greater things than I because of the power of the Spirit indwelling. And so we need to be in a habit of constant prayer. A discipline of constant prayer. So here's a specific challenge for you. Last week, the specific challenge was scripture before phone. This week, your specific challenge is kneeling prayer thrice daily. I had to use the word thrice because when do you get to use the word thrice? Three times. Morning, afternoon, evening. Prayer on your knees. Now, here's the thing about that. 
you can make the argument that kneeling is unnecessary, that it's just something that you do. But, at the same time, there's something to be said about aligning the heart and the body. There's something to be said about making something tangible in a way that it engages our physical senses. And so, if we begin our our day by pulling out the Word, kneeling by the side of our bed or, or wherever, and praying, and then in the middle of the day we do that again, At the end of the day, we do that again. There's going to be a habit of constant connection with God. I've been trying for the last uh, three weeks since we started this series to institute these habits. And so at the beginning of the day, before I do anything else, I'll go downstairs into our office where we have our guest bed and I'll kneel at the side of that bed and I'll pray. And then I'll open the Bible and I'll read as I'm making coffee. Okay, it's... Uh, It's a practice called habit stacking, if you're familiar with that. Habit stacking means you have existing habits in your life, and you stack a new habit on top of it to help you continue to do it. So, I'm in the habit of making coffee first thing in the morning. If I don't, my wife will kill me. It's that simple. So, when I go downstairs to make coffee, then I go into the office and I pray, and I start to read the Word. And this has made a tremendous difference in my life. Uh, it really, truly has. The connection that I have with the Lord has been so wonderful. And it's changed my perspective. It's changed how I battle sin. It's changed how I face the, the day. So, kneeling prayer thrice daily. Before we close, I do have a final request of you. Um, we read in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, that Paul actually makes a prayer request here of the church in Ephesus. After telling them to pray in the Spirit at all times with all prayer and supplication, to make supplication for all the saints, and supplication is just praying on behalf of someone, verse 19 he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul speaks this prayer request as a leader in the church. He himself planted this church. He is uh, bearing the burden of being the spiritual leader over a lot of people. And Paul knew he needed strength in order to do that. Paul knew that he needed protection. He needed guidance. He needed that voice to always be in his earpiece. And he knew that it it wasn't enough for him to just be praying for himself. So he asks the saints, will you please pray on my behalf? He says, will you go before the Father every day and pray that words will be given to me? That I might open my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel. A gospel that has put him in chains. But the gospel that he loves and wants to declare boldly as he ought. So my closing request to you is to please pray for me. That I might carry out this mission, not only here, but in every place of ministry that the Lord has put me. 
that the Lord might open up opportunities for gospel conversation, that the Lord might set divine appointments where people are coming to me and I might be able to give them the truth of the gospel, where I might say the things that God wants me to say and not give them just my own thoughts. People don't need me. They need Jesus. People need the truth of Scripture. Please pray for me that that is what I will be able to give them. Let us now close in prayer. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, for the role that he has in every moment of our lives, giving us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to build the habit of constant prayer. That you would help each one of us to daily come before you, moment by moment, through every decision, through every struggle, through every celebration, that we would bring our hearts back to you. That we would never hang up. That amen would just be a small break in the conversation that is continuing on all day long. Lord, help us to be people of habit. Help us to be people of discipline. Help us to love the grind and the process as much as the result. Lord, I pray that we would not always be looking for epic, but that we would just be looking for connection with you, moment by moment, day by day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, uh, Daryl will play our closing song.